Exodus 4, <coughs> 1 to 17. <clears throat> Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that you may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you, or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it onto dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I'll help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. Well, good morning, church. My name is Marty. Uh, it's great to be up here again. I've got my wife, uh, Trish, with me uh, and our daughter, Lily. Uh, they're just out the back because uh, it's uh, lunchtime. Uh, so, uh, we're in Exodus. Uh, this is partway through a story. This is Moses at the burning bush. Um, but before we get stuck into it, how about I pray? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Exodus and for its place in the story of your perfect plan for saving humanity. Lord, I pray that you would help me to speak clearly and truthfully from your word. And please use us in this church to bring about your kingdom. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. So... Back in February of 2018, during the Winter Olympics, Czech skier Esther Ledecker stood at the bottom of the course. She stood at the bottom of the course in her hand-me-down skis, staring up at the scoreboard. There must have been some kind of mistake. 
because her name was at the top of the board. I thought they were going to put a couple more seconds on my time, Ledecka later said, laughing and well aware that the race would be decided by hundredths of a second. I was waiting for it, she said. But there was no mistake. She, Esther Ledecka, had finished first, ahead of the defending champion by 0.01 seconds. Slowly, the crowd began to cheer, growing louder and louder every few seconds. Ledecka, though, remained still. She didn't react because she was waiting for the scoreboard correction. She said nothing was happening and everyone was screaming afterwards, she said this. But after a little while, she noticed that her time didn't change. She noticed that her name stayed at the top of the board. And so slowly, she skied to an area adjacent to the finish where she was congratulated as the race winner. This whole event for her uh, highlighted the fact that she thought she was unworthy to be at the top. She thought that someone else should have been at the top and she was just happy to really compete. So here's a question for you. Have you ever felt unworthy? And here's another question. Do you think that, that God deals with just second best? And then another question on top of that is, do we doubt that God is powerful to do anything with us sometimes? Do we think that God can't use me because of all of my problems? Well, today I hope to deal with some of these things, uh, and we're going to see that in the book of Exodus. To do that, we need to look at Moses. So, the first thing that we need to see uh, is that Moses, Moses is not the perfect person for the task. Now, Moses, he is not the worst person for God to choose to bring Israel out of slavery in Egypt uh, because they're slaves there. They're being horribly mistreated. But Moses, he's not a great choice. I'm not about to tell God that he's made the wrong decision, but surely there are better options out there for God. The first reason that Moses isn't a great choice is that he has already tried. Moses has already tried to save his people out of slavery. Back in chapter 2 of Exodus, Moses kills an Egyptian that's beating up an Israelite. In Moses' head, that this was the best way for him to save his people. And later, he then comes across a couple of Israelites that are fighting, and he questions them and says, Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? They reply to him, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing us as you killed the Egyptian? Then, of course, Moses was afraid, and he thought, what I did must have become known. And then, of course, Moses flees, and he hides in the desert for 40 years. This has already happened before uh, chapter 4 here. This is not a particularly good start for Moses, and not a good result for the nation of Israel. The second reason that Moses isn't a great choice is that he doubts his own abilities, if you've still got your own Bibles, it'd be great to turn it back up to Exodus 4. Have a look at chapter at, at verse 10 of our passage for today. Moses says, Pardon your servant, Lord. He says, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. He says, I am slow of speech and tongue. So you can see that Moses doubts himself. You can see that he certainly doesn't think much of his public speaking skills. He says, slow of speech and tongue. And he probably has the last attempt 
in the back of his mind too, as we come to this story here, where he killed an Egyptian 40 years ago. He's worried that the Israelites will remember who he is and not be particularly happy about him coming out of the wilderness after 40 years, claiming to be God's messenger. And don't forget as well, Moses, he is a child of wealth. He's not a child of poverty and slavery like the rest of the Israelites. And so there's a bit of tension there for Moses too. Third reason for Moses not being a great choice, and this is the most important really, is that Moses doubts God. Moses has been speaking to God in the burning bush in in chapter 3, and God has made some really big promises. He's heard God saying that he has heard the cry of the Israelites, that that cry has reached God, and that God is going to rescue his people from the hand of the Egyptians. And somehow, Moses isn't entirely on board with this plan. You can see that in the way that Moses asks God to send someone else, not once, but twice. Because maybe Moses thinks that God can't do something as impossible as bringing an entire nation out of slavery. Well, Moses doesn't need higher self-esteem. He doesn't need higher self-esteem or higher self-confidence. He needs a greater sense of God's presence and God's power. Moses, he doesn't need to read the seven habits of highly effective people. Moses needs to know that God is with him always and can do immeasurably more than all we ask. Have a look at how God replies to Moses in verses 11 and 12. God says to Moses, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. See, what really matters is that God is with Moses always. It's, it's God, not Moses' past failures or inabilities, that's going to be the deciding factor in bringing Israel out of slavery. So, it's, uh, it's 1994. TVs, they, they weigh a ton, you might remember them. Phones have that little rotation dial on them. Uh, this is deep in my memory. Uh, and a guy named Roy Ratcliffe, he gets a phone call. Now, Roy is a pastor in Wisconsin, in America, and the call is from a local prison. They're asking him if he would come and do a baptism. This is uh, pretty usual for Roy. He's been out that way a number of times. But what's unusual is the prisoner. It's Jeffrey Dahmer. This is a guy that's been convicted of 16 brutal murders. Pretty astounding, really. Did Roy turn tail and run? I know that I would have fled. But after going to the prison, after hearing his confession and his testimony, Roy baptised Jeffrey Dahmer. And after that, they met every week to talk about the Bible, to read the Bible together, and to talk about sin. Before Dharma was murdered by another prisoner. Now, the point of this story is not the question, was Dharma sincere? That's not the point of this story. The point is that Roy knew what God could do. Roy knew what God could do. Because Roy didn't doubt that God could save a man like Dharma. 
Because God can. And that says far more about God than it says about any weaknesses or any insecurities that we might have. I want to ask you the question. Do you think that that Roy Ratcliffe is, is some kind of amazing superhero preacher man that has an amazing amount of courage? Now, no doubt God has given him these things, has blessed him with this gift. But do you think that sometimes we underestimate how much of an impact we can have through God when we believe in his power? If it was me in that situation again, I would have fled. What I'm saying is that we need to trust God. I'm saying that we need to trust God like like Roy did in this situation and like Moses will eventually. It takes a little bit for him. But we can trust that God will do his thing. We can trust that God will do his thing because we can look at God's Bible. We can look and see all of the things that God has done. We can see God's character, God's faithfulness, God's power to save across 2,000-something pages. But at this moment, we're still thinking, why Moses? Why didn't God choose Aaron? This is the guy that already speaks really well. Well, that leads us to our second thing to see. So the second thing for this morning, God's plan is greater than Moses' weaknesses. So we're talking about why God chose Moses when he could have chosen Aaron, arguably a much better messenger. And that brings up the question, does God make plan Bs? Is Aaron the second best choice in the draft here? And is this God just reacting to what Moses is doing? Well, God's clearly chosen Moses here. But then Moses protests and asks, and he asks very nicely, I might add, uh, for God to send someone else. Have a look at verse 13. Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord. See, very nicely, please, please send someone else. But, of course, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And God said, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. So does God make plan Bs? If you have a look at verse 8, when God says, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. Is Is this another part of God just changing the plan and making the plan B? Well, I want to say that if we believe in an all-powerful, in an all-knowing God, then the answer is no. So why does God say if? Why does God say if and why does he say, well, what about your brother? God's divine mercy takes note of our weaknesses and makes provisions for them. God's divine mercy takes note of our weaknesses and makes provisions for them. Because all of this is a part of God's perfect plan. And we can see these signs presented to Moses as provisions for his weakness. So it gives Moses three signs to show his authority over the various symbols of Egyptian power. And this is really a taster for what's to come when we come to the plagues. So let's have a look at verse 2. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, Moses replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out, took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, 
is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. So this first sign for Moses, this is a sign about snakes. Snakes, they are the symbol of Egyptian kingship. And it's a symbol of their divine authority. The Pharaoh was recognised by wearing a crown with snakes on it. And it displays the legitimacy of this ruler. God turns Moses' staff into a snake and back again, demonstrating that God's power is far higher than the Egyptian kings. He can control them. Now the second sign, the second sign for Moses is about healing. Have a look at verse 6. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. At the time, back in Moses' day, leprosy was thought incurable. So it's practically a death sentence for Moses here. But God covers Moses' hand with it, and then he cures it in a second and demonstrates that God's healing power is far stronger than anyone at that time including the Egyptian wise men and the Egyptian sorcerers. Third and final sign is from verse 8. This is about the very source of Egypt's wealth. Verse 8, Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. So, The Nile River was a source and the reason for Egypt's wealth. Its very presence made the Nile River Valley fertile and it allowed the Egyptians to grow lots of crops very easily. God says that he's going to turn this water poured out from the Nile into blood, showing that he has power and authority over even the land of Egypt. God's providing these signs almost as as a proof of who he is. Notice that Moses didn't ask for these signs. Moses was provided them. They were given to him so that he would have comfort in who God is and what God can do. See, this, this isn't God making a plan B. This is, this is God's plan A. This is, this is God's plan even. This is, there's no need for a numbering system. And then notice that, that God provides Aaron. He says he's already on his way, but... God doesn't back down from what he said before. Have a look at verse 12. God says, Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you. He will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak. And I will teach you, you plural, what to do. Do you see that? Do you see that God will help both of them speak, Moses and Aaron? You see, God is is providing for their weakness because God is accounting for their weakness in his plan. This is uh, very much like a parent teaching a child to eat. Uh, We've just started with Lily, uh, and the plan is uh, to get her to eat by herself. Now, along the way, uh, she's going to need a lot of help because it doesn't come quite so easy. 
She's going to need to learn how to hold the spoon first. Uh, she's got that far, that's great. Uh, then she's got to practice her shoveling technique. She's got to dig the food out of her bowl and then she's got to put it into her mouth. We're still working on those things. Along the way, uh, there has been food hurled across the room. Undoubtedly, uh, there's going to be food on the floor. Uh, there might even be food on the ceiling. And there has definitely been food on a nice new T-shirt. There might even be a couple of meals that end up in tears. There might even be a couple of meals that end in injury. But the plan hasn't changed. The plan hasn't changed because the plan is still to teach Lily how to eat by herself. It's just that the road to get there is not apparent to the screaming toddler in the high chair. And as you'll see later if you read on in Exodus, the toddler that is Moses chucks a tantrum pretty soon after his people are out of Egypt. But all of that hasn't changed God's plan because God wants to grow us. He wants to grow Moses into adults that can feed themselves. And even though God grows Moses, and God grows the judges, and he grows the kings, and he grows the prophets, he grows his nation of Israel to look like him and to obey him, all of these people still leave us unsatisfied. Unsatisfied because they all stuff up. As great men and women as they were, they all are sinful. But it's important to know that this is still a part of God's plan. Because God's plan is long-term. God is thinking way into the future for when his people will have all of the signs that they need before them, before they can fully trust him. And we, in the 21st century, we see these signs fulfilled, perfected in a single person. So that's our third thing to see for this morning is that God's plan required just one perfect person. Now, it shouldn't come as a shock that I'm leading to Jesus, because Moses, he is the biblical precursor to Jesus. Moses is there, he's here in Exodus, to point us to this perfect person that will carry out God's perfect plan. And Jesus and Moses, they share some striking similarities. So in Exodus 1, Moses was born when the Egyptians ruled over the Israelites. And in Luke 2, we read that the Romans ruled over the Israelites in the time of Jesus' birth. Both of them were born when the Hebrew nation was occupied and at a really low point in their history. Also in Exodus 1, Pharaoh orders that all the Hebrew sons be killed. And King Herod does the same in Matthew 2. And then in our passage today, and later when we come to the plagues, Moses performs miracles following God's direction. And in John 5, we read of Jesus doing the same, and in other passages as well. Specific miracles are different, of course, but each only occurred due to God's power. And this isn't the exhaustive list by any means, but I hope that you get the point. But Moses and Jesus, they're also very different. And they're very different in some very important ways. Because where Moses failed, where Moses failed ultimately to bring his people out of slavery to sin, their ultimate problem, we know, of course, that Jesus succeeded. Because the first time Moses, he tried, and he tried to save his people, he had to spend 40 years hiding in the desert. 
There's no such failure with Jesus because he's saved completely. And he saved completely the first time around. Hebrews 7.25 says of Jesus, He is able to save completely those that come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Where Moses had his flaws and where Moses doubted his own skills, Jesus, of course, didn't. Moses felt that he wasn't the right guy for the job. He, he seriously doubted his own skills and worse, he doubted that God could even use him, doubted that God was powerful. Jesus, on the other hand, completely followed his father. John 12, 49 says, For I did not speak on my own, but the father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. When Moses, Moses didn't trust in God, Jesus, of course, trusted God all the way to the cross. Moses didn't trust that the gods could speak through him and use him to rescue his people. And Luke 18, 31 to 33 says, Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He, he's talking about himself here, will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. And on the third day he will rise again. You see, God only needed one person to carry out his perfect plan. One perfect person. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's plan. God's plan to rescue us from our ultimate captor. And this is the good news, that Jesus... The perfect, uh, perfect human being, sinless and pure, became like trash, became like garbage, taking on the full weight of our sins so that we, we, would, be, so that we would be free from slavery to sin and so that we would be right with God. Only one person was needed to free us from the slavery to sin and Jesus was perfect where Moses or anyone else was flawed. Because Jesus was all God needed to redeem humanity. Only one person could have gone to the cross. Only one person could have defeated our captor of sin and death. And it could only have pinned Jesus. So how do we tie this all together? Well, there are a couple of things that I want us to take away from this passage. The first is that God, maker of mouths giver of speech, will help us to speak and will teach us what to say. If we look forward in history at Acts 7.22, we see recorded there that Moses was powerful in speech and action. But we've just read that he didn't start out that way. God taught him what to say. God helped him to say it. And that made him into a great speaker because of what God did. So if you think that you're not great, great at explaining the gospel, that, that might be true. But like Moses, you can learn. And guess what? This is the best part. God will help you learn. 
God will teach you, and he will teach you by the Holy Spirit. He'll teach you the right things to say, he'll teach you the right time to say them, and he'll show you how to live. You can probably already look back at a time when, when, you asked, when someone asked why you go to church, and you completely bungled that explanation, teaching why you even come to a church. Well, know with God, there is always an upward trajectory and there's always forgiveness. Secondly, second thing to take away, praise God. Praise God that he chooses to use us. He chooses to use us regular, us regular, boring, unlikely, us imperfect people to serve in his perfect plan. This Bible is full of God using imperfect people imperfect, boring, unlikely people. So why do we doubt it when God calls us? My encouragement to you this morning is trust God. Now that's a really easy thing to say, but of course it's much harder to do. I want you to trust God that he will give you the words to speak and have faith that he will still do his thing. Trust God, take a chance, begin to explain. Because God is more than powerful enough, more than powerful enough to, to make your friend, your co-worker, your family hear what they need to hear, even if you haven't said it perfectly. So, be assured that God will help you speak. Be assured that he will teach you the words to say. And of course, give him praise that he chooses to use us he chooses to, use, chooses to use us, regular, boring, unlikely and imperfect people, to serve in his perfect plan. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you that you use imperfect people, like Moses, to lead your people. Then you sent Jesus, the perfect person, to perfectly lead us, your people. Thank you that Jesus was uniquely qualified to take all of humanity's sins upon himself and to open up the way to a right relationship with you, freeing us from slavery to sin. Lord, help us to respond to what Jesus has done with works of service, not because they earn us anything, but because we want to give you the praise and honour and glory for your amazing grace. And I pray all of these things in Jesus' awesome name. Amen.